when you first got to the varsity football team at Douglas High School, who was the first person to bust your butt and kind of welcome you to that varsity? Uh, there was a guy by the name of Dave Hendry. Um, he was a strong, powerful guy, offensive lineman, defensive lineman, just like myself. And uh, like I said uh, earlier in my response, uh, he, he, he turned me into a very average high school football player. I had to work really hard to even be that. So I, I appreciate David a ton. It always feel like I need one more boy and one more line. Record the track just one more time. My family think I bumped my head, lost my mind. Insuring them, I'm just fine. I'm good enough, but I need one more boy and one more line. Record the track just one more time. My family think I bumped my head, lost my mind. Insuring them, I'm just fine. I'm good enough, but I need one more boy and one more line. Record the track just one more time. My family think I bumped my head. Lost my mind, insuring them, I'm just fine, I'm good enough But you be told I need some therapy Initially ain't do it voluntarily, but now I got a legacy Alright, welcome back to another brand new episode of the Team Player Podcast Episode number 55, we're, we're rocking and rolling here in season number 2 We made it through the first year, and we are still here rocking and rolling um, This is another edition of Team Player Podcast Without Borders We have gone outside of the Lone Star State here We welcome another guest from the Beaver State uh, the great state of Oregon. This is our second guest. If you think back all the way to episode number 13, Kevin K dog Swift uh, joined us. And uh, like coach Swift, this is another guy that I've kind of met through the uh, high school football community on Twitter. And he is the longtime head football coach of central Catholic high school in Portland, Oregon. Welcome Steve Pine to the show. Thanks for having me. This is uh, this is a fun deal. I appreciate it. Yes, sir. Absolutely. And, you know, if, if you're part of this team player movement, make sure to take take five seconds and, and whatever you're listening on, give us that five star rating. Just click that button. That helps more people find the show. If you want to leave a written review, I lead the I read those uh, live on the air each week. You can hit the follow button. This is what I do for all my favorite podcasts. That way you'll get a new uh, team player podcast every Sunday uh, in your queue as soon as they come out. And we'd be honored if the team player podcast made it in your rotation. I'm your host, James Kovaleski. Please follow me on Twitter at Coach underscore Kovo. That's Coach underscore K-O-V-O. And Coach, like I said, we kind of got connected on Twitter. I noticed, you know, you had followed me on Twitter one day, and, and I don't know, was it just from some hearing Coach Swift's episode, or or, or how did how do we how do we uh, how did you come across my Twitter profile? Um, I think by chance, more than anything, yeah. uh, I you know I try to follow as many coaches as I can on Twitter just to see what other people are doing. I'm not yeah. a big Twitter poster myself, but I will, you know, uh, look at what other people have posted and try to learn from them. And I think that's how I came across yours and then saw the Swifty was on your podcast and uh, started listening a little bit myself. So I appreciate it. Oh, awesome. We always love that. A lot of our a lot of our guests are, are fans of the show and listeners. So, man, much appreciated uh, for that. Coach Swift is one of a kind, man. He, he's got that kind of larger than life personality. So that that was a really fun one. I know he's selling off a bunch of his old books. So I don't know yeah. if you're getting in on that sweepstakes or. No, I hit. No, we, we have a little different philosophy in terms of uh, offensive approach. But uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. we actually went down to coach swift's camp uh when i was the head coach at wilson high school and what a what a great event that is the gold beach camp and uh swift does a great job down there for sure and i actually saw him a couple weekends ago at the nike clinic so it was good to catch up with him yeah no doubt about it in portland uh portland is one of my favorite cities that, that i visited I, i've had the, the pleasure of going there 
Now, I, I've heard a couple of names for it. I, I always thought it was the Rose City or the City of Roses. But I know uh, you've also kind of been called Rip City. Is kind of so. What what do native Portlander or is it a Portlander? First of all, is it a Portlander? Or what do you call someone from Portland? Sorry, we've got a lot of mo- movement going on in here. Uh, so Rip City came yeah. from uh, um, Sean Lee, who was our play-by-play uh, guy for years and years and years. And uh, one of the times somebody hit a shot and uh, just that was his call was Rip City. <laughs> and it just kind of stuck uh, for years and years and years. But I think most people know us as the Rose City. Uh, right. We have a Rose Festival and uh, right, right. we're sister cities with Pasadena and all that stuff. So, And so you grew up in Portland, Oregon. Uh, Douglas High School, I, I looked it up. It's on the east side of Portland. It's east of the Willamette River. Uh, I would say from what I saw, about 15 minutes east of the Moda Center, which I, I went to, to, you know, check it out. We were the Portland Trailblazers play. So you grew up there pretty, pretty close to the heart of the city. So just tell us, what was that like gr- growing up in Portland? Uh, you know, Portland was a great place to, you know, grow up. And, uh, you know, I grew up in Southeast Portland and uh, have three older siblings. All went to David Douglas. And uh, that was a great community for us. Um, it's changed quite a bit over the years for good and for bad. Um, but uh, still, uh, I believe red and gray. That's the school colors. And uh, uh, I loved my time there. And Love going back and competing against them there in our league. So, wow. Okay. Yeah. So we have a long standing uh, rivalry, I guess. Yeah. And so at David Douglas, your head coach was George Rallis. You kind of did it all. You played football, you played basketball, you played baseball, and you did track and field. So you were a, a four sport athlete. I, I know that a lot of coaches, I mean, a, a lot of us do preach multi-sport athletes for our high school, our high school athletes. Sounds, I'm imagining you're still that way because you did it as, as a player. Absolutely. Uh, you know, and I will, I need to qualify that with the fact that, you know, I didn't play all four, all four years at the same time. I, you know, throughout, sure. I did a bunch of different ones, but mainly uh, football and track. Uh, but we, we love our multi-sport athletes. And in a school of our size, you know, about 840 kids, uh, you can't have kids just doing one thing uh there's just too many uh or not enough good athletes to go around that way maybe it's mother schools that can do that but i would love that multi-sport kid and then after after douglas high school you went to western oregon university i looked this up this is in monmouth so it's uh kind of in between portland and eugene and i'd say an hour southwest of portland so you that's kind of a nice distance. You're able to kind of get out from under your parents' roof a little bit, have a little bit of separation, but still be easily able to go home. So just talk to us about your time at Western Oregon. How, how did you enjoy that experience? You know, I it was great. Uh, it's a small town, uh, you know, like I said, just, just uh, west of Salem. And uh, it's about 60 minutes from the beach, uh, which was nice. great. As a college kid, you could just go down to the beach on any given, you know, uh, whim that you had. Um great people uh it's a it's an educators college it's police and education basically that's what it is uh so a lot of like-minded people there um that was great it's 20 minutes to corvallis it's 20 minutes to salem you know i mean you've got life uh even though you're in a kind of a small rural town um met my wife there Uh, we've been married 29 years so uh, i might not remember anything from college but i got a good lady out of it so (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and you said you played one season there with the football team. And I'm, yeah. I'm curious about that. So I'm, you know, 
there's all different ways you can go with this. I know a lot of kids these days, they all want to get the D1 scholarship. But there's, for me, like I went the Division three route and I ended up playing four years of Division three football. You went to Western Oregon. You did one year. I mean, I'm just curious, now, now that you're a coach and you have kids and you're counseling them on, on what decision to make as far as continuing athletics into college, what do you... How do you guide them? What advice do you give today's kids when they're trying to make that that decision that they you know potentially impact a lot of the rest of their life? Sure, I, I think the biggest thing is just being transparent and truthful with kids. Uh, I have been fortunate enough to have uh, a handful of di- Division One kids. Yeah, and when they walk in the door, you probably have a pretty good sense that that's that kid. Yes. Uh, whereas you have a then a a, a number of kids who for whatever reason, good and bad, think they are division one kids and being transparent with them and letting them understand that like Frosty Westerling always says, you know, make the big time where you are. And I always tell kids, is it about running out of a stadium or out of a tunnel into 60,000 people and watching a game from the sideline? Or is it running out of a tunnel in front of 3000 people and playing the game? You got to decide that one and two, I, I want our kids to have their decision made academically, you know, just because you go to, you know, university a, they might not have the academic uh, area that you want to pursue. Whereas that division three school, that NAIA school, that division two school might have that thing. And uh, so I would always encourage them to look academics first and, and football second, if they're not that lock in division one guy. And that's the second time that the name Frosty Westering has come up on this podcast. I know Coach Masaki Matsumoto there out of Washington State, he brought him up as well. So de- definitely yep. a, a legendary coach there out, out on the West Absolutely. Coast of the United States. But, okay, so then, you know, at, you, you're playing at Western Oregon. The question I always always ask, or, you know, you play for the first year and then you finish as a student there. Did you know when you stepped foot onto campus there in Monmouth that you wanted to be you wanted to make coaching your profession or were you thinking you are going to do something else? No, I, I knew before I went. Um, okay. You know, in high school, uh, we we go down to the middle schools as high school kids and put on camps and, and clinics and stuff. And I just got an absolute thrill out of coaching. And I thought yeah. that was really cool. And the guys in my life, George Rollis, uh, you know, Dan Wood is another one that's been a huge influence on my life coaching wise. These guys were doing things that I thought were was so impactful and so cool. Uh, and kind of being in charge if you will of something and yeah. having a having a group of guys that you could mentor and bring along and really just see the growth uh, out of those kids that was always exciting to me for some reason and uh after my one year of playing uh we had a coaching change and you know I was young 19 uh and uh some things happened and I just decided it was probably best for me to start coaching. And so I, yeah. I was in West at Western Oregon. I would drive, get out of class, drive to David Douglas, yeah. coach, drive back about 140 mile round trip every day. And I was doing it for gas money. And it was two of the best, most memorable years of my life uh, doing that for coach Rollis. And uh, you know, then uh, was lucky enough to get on at Corvallis high school uh, when I was just, young and dumb and uh coach Beck <laughs> took a took a flyer on me and uh kind of set things off in the right direction for me i think yeah and you're not the first team player podcast alumnus to start coaching before you graduated college so if you go all the way back to episode number seven ben moran also an austin college alum like myself division three football he 
he elected to forego his senior year and he talked it over with the head coach and he he coached on that team where he still had eligibility as a player. So he did it That's a little awesome. bit different. But I yeah. love your story, the 140-mile round trip. Uh, and Coach Rollins. <laughs> a lot of miles one. on that. A lot of miles <laughs> on the 1972 Toyota Corolla. Hey, those Toyotas, man, they hold value and they are just like tanks. They do. You know? <laughs> I, I, I agree with you on that one for sure. Change the but, oil and call it good. It, yes, sir. So you started coaching at 19 years old. You recounted that story driving the 140 miles round trip. You spent the three season at Corvallis High School. And I just kind of want to ask about that because, of course, Corvallis, you know, a lot of us down here in Texas would probably at least recognize that name. That is the home of Oregon State University. And so what's that like? I just wonder, what's that like coaching in like a big college town like that? Uh, at that time, uh, Oregon State was not real good. <laughs> okay. uh, you know, um, it was the, I believe, Jerry Pettibone and uh, Dave Craigthorpe eras were kind of back to back in that uh, time frame. But uh, the cool thing is our we played at Reeser Stadium for our home games. So that was kind of a cool thing. And yeah. uh, you know, wasn't quite uh, filled up to the brim, but uh, you know, it was a it was a cool deal to be in their locker rooms and and on that field for sure. Good experience for the kids. And I saw recently, and I'm just going to ask you this, just as a native Oregonian, I saw this in the news that, as far as I know, I don't, I can't recall the name of the stadium there at Oregon State. Uh, what's the name of the stadium? It's Reeser Stadium. Reeser. Okay. As yeah. far as I read. It is the last of the stadiums in the country that allow you to return to your car, like return to your tailgate at halftime, get some more drinks or food or whatever, and then come back in. And I read that they're actually going to do away with that, I guess, for safety concerns or things of that nature. Sure. And I, I guess the reason why they had done that was there just wasn't enough food and drink areas in the concourse, a little bit older stadium. So I'm just curious for you. And that's that's kind of cool. I mean, you're kind of the last of a, a different age, you know, or kind of move around a little bit more, but like, What's the response amongst Oregonians? Do you kind of like hate that or do you understand or what's the feedback? I really honestly hadn't even heard that. Oh, uh, really? Okay. Yeah. You know, um, it's not surprising. And I'm sure there's some diehard uh, Beaver fans that aren't yeah. happy about it, but uh, you know, they want a captive audience. They got to, uh, they got to pay for that new side of the stadium somehow. So they're going <laughs> to upcharge you on those drinks and, and uh, food and stuff. Yeah, no, I, I love it. It totally makes sense. And you know, both of your stadiums, man, uh, Autzen, right, for at University yeah. of Oregon, you know, and both of your stadiums strike me as difficult places to come and play. Like when you watch on TV, kind of got the mist coming in and, you know, that 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 Pacific Northwest weather and crazy fans, you know. So I, I love it. I'm, I'm actually a fan of, of both of your, you know, your state programs there. But, okay, so yeah, Corvallis High School, you know, just 25 minutes south of where you were at Western Oregon in between Salem and Eugene, like we talked about. You, you got your kind of really started cutting your teeth there. But then, you, interestingly enough, on your resume, you left the great state of Oregon and you headed east to Idaho. And this is something I it, my goal is to have a, a coaching guest from all 50 states in the union. And we're going to do it one day, by God. But I've never met anybody from Idaho. And I, I'm not going to count you as Idaho since you're, you've mostly done Oregon. <laughs> but I want to know, what is it like? Uh, what was it like coaching there in the gem state? You know, I went over there, I enrolled at Boise State to do my teaching credential program. And uh, one of my roommates at Western Oregon was an Emmett High School grad. And and he hooked me up with a guy named Laverle Pratt, who was the head coach over there at Emmett. And so I was go being a student and then coaching at the time and did my student teaching at, at Emmett and actually got hired there, uh, you know, after my student teaching was done. It was a great place. Uh, it's 
you know, uh, Idaho is a, a pretty conservative place. It, it is uh, people uh, will give you the shirt off their back, uh, help you out. Uh, my my family roots are from Idaho. My dad grew up in Jerome, Idaho, okay. and so we have a lot of family over there. And so that was nice to reconnect with some some of them while I was there. Uh, and then my wife and I, we got married, uh, in 1993 and she moved over and we both were, you know, uh, basically substitute teaching. And we were living on a 40 acre farm in, uh, sweet Idaho, which is in the middle of nowhere. Uh, but it was rent free. We we're house sitting. Uh, so we enjoyed that. We had cows and other critters and, uh, dog got in a fight with a porcupine and lost and you know that kind of stuff it, it was there was some good memories there but uh got there and coach for coach pratt he got let go i was a finalist for that job and uh i didn't get the job and it was probably the best thing that ever happened to me not getting that job i was 26 i wasn't ready yeah uh, but i thought i was um so yep. then on to the next step of coming back home Coach, I'm so glad you brought that up. And a lot of times, you know, we, we have successful coaches come on the show, but we actually like to talk about setbacks because I think that's really more valuable because I think a lot of listeners, we're not all coaches state championship teams. And so my background, you know, I coached for 11 years. I was a, a part of a really good team at Ridgepoint High School here in Houston, Fort Bend County, was a defensive coordinator, had a lot of success, got my first head coaching job at 6A football in Houston at 30 years mm -hmm. old. Wow. I was not ready. I was <laughs> not ready for that, you know, and it – my career coaching record, I always joke around. I mean, two and 18, it's always going to say for James Kovaleski. And so I know how hard it was to get those two wins. So when I hear coaches that have like 500, 700 wins, it blows me away. But I guess the point being, coach, at 30 years old, I think part of it is maybe just the way that I'm wired. I just love being an assistant. I think it was more my thing. I loved being the defensive coordinator at Ridgepoint, being a part of that cog, you know, cog on that team and having my inside linebackers and coaching my position. But I found that when I became the head coach, and at least the way it's set up in Texas, I was also the campus athletic coordinator. So mm -hmm. I think had I just been the head football coach, I probably would have still loved it. But the managing of the other sports on campus and the managing adults and spending less time with the kids and the pressures and things that come along with that, I didn't enjoy it. And I sure as heck wasn't ready for it at 30 years old. Now mm -hmm. at 39, I look back and I'm like, you know, with some age, I almost kind of sometimes wish I could just do it over where I am now, just more maturity, sure. more age. But I kind of got burnt out at that point. My dream was to always be a head coach ever since I was a sixth, eighth grader, I guess I'd always wanted to coach football, be a head coach in Texas. And I got to do it and I got there and it wasn't what I dreamed of. And so at that point I just was really, I took a lot of that two and 18 and internalized it. I was very burnt out, very stressed. And I said, I want to step away, try something different. And now I'm still around the game. You know, my day job is with Dactronics. I sell scoreboards. I'm still talking to ADs and doing that kind of thing, but in my free time, I do I broadcast games. I'm still at three nights a week calling a game, or I do this podcasting cool. highlight coaches. So I went that direction. But I guess my question is, I think you're so right. You you may have dodged a bullet, a bullet that I did not dodge. And I always <laughs> wonder that. What if I had just stayed at Ridgepoint, racked up a couple more great teams? As a, you know, maybe maybe my maybe my coaching career goes some different way. Maybe I'm still doing it. I don't know. Don't regret anything. But it's just interesting. So can you just elaborate a little bit more on that? for Because you know how it is as an assistant. Whenever we're an assistant, we want to be a coordinator. And then once we're a coordinator, we want to be head coaches. That's the way that we're wired, right? So a lot of my listeners are young guys that want to be a head coach so bad. Can you explain that statement you made that you, you may have dodged a bullet to not get it at 26 years old? Well, 
I, I think you, you don't know what you don't know at that point in time. And, and it doesn't matter when you inherit that job or earn that job. There are going to be a myriad of things that you just didn't consider going into it. And no one's giving you a playbook on, on how to do this, how to deal with administration, how to deal with parents, how to deal with disgruntled kids, deal with teachers, yep. deal with assistant coaches. And that's kind of my thing right now is like, uh, you know, we have 20 guys on my coaching staff and, and we have Excellent. six. Wow. I think six gray beards and, and 14, what I call Gen Z millennials. Right. 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 And, and they're just different than the generation that I was a part of or am a part of. Um, there's a lot of validation that I, I think need, is needed by them, uh, immediate gratification mm -hmm. and trying to mentor them and say, you know what, it, this is a process. It takes time. And, and, it's okay to fail and it's okay not to get the job. Just keep putting yourself forward yeah. and, and then surround yourself, you know, come to me for questions or come to somebody else that you, you have a, a relationship and ask those questions and be prepared for disappointment. Now I say that, and I've, I've interviewed for three jobs in my life and I've gotten two of them, yep. you know, so my batting average is pretty good. Yeah. Uh, but a lot of it is circumstantial. A lot of it is I'm surrounded by great coaches and I've had a, a run of amazing talent here at Central Catholic and great administrative support and great community support. Um, so, you know, I like to think that, you know, some of the stuff I've done has been the reason why, but the reality is it's a lot of circumstance. I've been in the right place at the right time with the right people. And, uh, it's the old adage: the grass is always greener. Well, just water your own grass; it'll it'll grow. Yeah, it'll yeah. grow. And when that opportunity is right, it it will be right. I think chasing things to chase things for chasing's sake is fool's gold. And uh, you know, I don't know what the I'm sure it's similar in Texas as it is in Oregon. I mean, we've got in our six A, there's about ten to twelve schools on any given year that are going to be in the final mix. Yep. And then there's, you know, 35 or 40 that, you know, their coaches are doing great jobs, but they just don't have the same horses and all that stuff. And mm -hmm. I think young people get caught up on wins and losses as success. And it's mm -hmm. just, it just isn't. It's what are those kids doing 10, 15, 20 years down the road? Are they great fathers and great husbands and great community members and giving back and, that's when we know we've had some success and and there's going to be stumbles along the way on that path as well. So I, I, patience is the biggest thing, I think, for for younger coaches. Uh, and maybe I was that way when I was but I never asked for, <laughs> I, you know, I just don't. Hey, I want to be a coordinator. Hey, can you give me this? Can you give me that? I felt like I had to earn it. And if my job uh, if I did a good enough job that I would be rewarded with those opportunities. And I felt like that's kind of what my path was. I agree with you, coach. And, you know, I, I think for me, it was kind of similar in a way where I, I never actually looked at job boards, except for when I was first trying to find my first job out of college. I ended up getting on at Clements High School in Fort Bend. I was there for a few years. And then whenever my my, my uh, head coach at Ridgepoint left to, to Ridgepoint, he asked me to come with him. And I said, absolutely, I'd like to come. That's when I became a coordinator. And then, again, it was my head coach at Ridgepoint encouraging me, like, hey, we've had it. We're having a great season, a storybook season. You should apply. That was the first time I ever even thought about it. I was going to stay at Ridgepoint forever at that time, you know. So I think that's great advice. I think there's a fine line, right? Like, 
sometimes coaches that apply for every single job they get, they can kind of start getting a bad rap. If they're applying for too many things, you know, they can get a, a reputation. And so I just think it's that fine line, right. Of, of being ambitious, you know, and, 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 and not, and not being afraid to try for things, but not just applying for every single thing. You hit the nail right on the head when you talk about fit, right? Like to me, it's all about finding what place fits my skills and my leadership style. So can mm -hmm. you, can you elaborate on fit a little bit? Cause you said, you know, you've been in places where you were the right fit. Can you just speak to a young coach about how do you find that right fit for a coach? Well, I, I think, you know, if I, I was going back to, you know, having to interview for a job and, uh, you know, the first thing I'm going to look at is the administration. Now mm. it's different. I have, you know, I have a resume and I've had some success luckily. And, uh, so, I can be a little more choosy sure. uh, with yeah. that, if you will. Um, but if your administration is not going in the right direction, they don't see the value in co-curricular. I'm not just talking football. It, right. it band drama, uh, tiddlywinks club. It doesn't yeah. matter. They don't see added value and they're not hiring teachers that add value to their school. You're going to be fighting an uphill battle because uh, what you find out, one of the things you don't know when you come in is all the things that you have to have in place in order to be successful from budget to assistant coaches to uh, field time to, you know, bus schedules to, you know, all those little bits and pieces that, you know, you don't really understand until you're in the fight. <laughs> and you're sure. like, wait a second, I didn't think of that. Yeah. Why didn't you think of that, you know, kind of thing. And I think that that's... Uh, really critical in that process to know that the people you're going to go to work for have your back right, right. And, and want the same thing that you want for their school that's the first thing i think you know and there's no way that i would ever leave where i'm at if those things weren't in place sure uh, because now you're you're just fighting a fight that is not winnable. Uh, and right. a lot of schools, and I'm sure you guys witness it down there. There are a lot of schools that have unbelievable talent. You're playing those guys and you're looking across the field going, God, I wish I had that kid. And they can't walk in uniform or unison mm. because there's no vision from the top down. And my job is to support my school's vision and my administrators, administrators, uh, administrator's job, excuse me, is to support my vision right. for my program and they better align. They don't have to be, you know, exactly the same, but they better align. And if they're not, you're going to be, you're going to be fighting that uphill battle. And all of a sudden you're like, why am I fighting so hard? There's nothing moving and there's no support. So that's the biggest thing I think is having a, a, a supportive administration. And so do, did you, I, I imagine th like those things you listed, you know, the budget, you know, the support, the, the, you know, is that the kind of things you're saying? Like, would you, would you recommend that people maybe ask around people that are at that school and try to get some Intel? Or are you saying like, ask those qu uh, questions in an interview or for a coach that is trying to ascertain those pieces of information, what, what do you think is the best way to go about it? I, I think the first thing is, you know, in your interview to be able to ask that type of question. I, I would, if I was in an interview with an administrator, the first thing I would ask them, what is your vision for your school? What is your vision for your athletic programs? Yeah. And you can read a lot into what that response will be because either one, they have one and they thought about it and it's well thought out 
or you caught them and you and they're like uh, uh and they give you some answer to me that's a red flag i'm like okay that's that's not going to be uh you know a, a very good or conducive uh environment for success um i would also ask those questions like you know what is the budget is there a budget can i raise money for additional coaches this is different in portland or in most other states in texas i know in texas you've got to be a teacher in the building in order to correct yep correct that is not the case in 49 other states i think so right sure you know it that's different so you're going to give me x amount of stipends can i split those stipends well yes you can or no the union says you can't okay can i go out and fundraise for additional stipends yes that's okay as long as we run it through these channels or no, that's not okay. Well, wait a second. All right. You're giving me six coaches or seven coaches. I've got 115 or 120 kids in the program. Mm. That ratio doesn't stick with me because you're giving the same number of coaches to the basketball team. But let's, let's talk about this. Let's see if we can get some equity involved in this thing so that we can be successful. Those that's, I would put those right to the administration uh, that it's interviewing me. And then if I got the answers that I think I liked, then it might be going to the basketball coach, the baseball coach, the track coach, and just say, Hey, tell me about this place. I am really intrigued, you know, but give me an honest answer. And, and are we going to be able to work together and share athletes and, uh, build each other up? Uh, you know, I, there's a guy by the name of Jeff Skurin out of Arizona, a uh, long time, very successful coach, turned a ton of teams around. And one of these, he, he's like, you don't want empire buildings or empire builders in your building because they kind of just suck the life out of everybody else. And they don't share right. their right. ideas, they yep. don't share their athletes. So you have, you need to know if there are empire builders within the building. You don't want that. You want people who are going to just share the wealth. Right, uh, right. That's, a, that's culture that that's so big in a building and we're we're fortunate enough uh for the most part in my 20 years here we've had people who are just willing to share and encourage kids to to be a part of things i, I lo- coach th- those are some serious gems right there i mean i and definitely for me at 30 years old i was not thinking to do any of those things i was just honored to be considered and i wanted them to pick me <laughs> you know what i mean so, same with me yeah same with me totally get that coach now you know, you, obviously being in one place for 20 years, you've, you've had a lot, a ton of success. And I'm just curious, have you ever experienced, because for me, the place I had been, you know, at Ridgepoint, it, it was like 12 and one was it my, my last record or our last record when I was DC at Ridgepoint. And then I go to two and eight, my first year as a head coach and oh, and 10, my last year as a head coach. So it was a very stark turnaround in terms of, of the winning mm-hmm. that was going on. Have you ever experienced something like that? Because obviously you've had a lot of success, but have you had some isolated seasons that were oh, and 10 or one and nine or things of that nature? I I knock on wood. I've had one uh, in 25 years as a head coach. So my second year at Wilson, my first year we go there, we're five and four. We, you know, inherited a team that was a a big wishbone team. And I was more of a spread guy. And my quarterback threw more balls in the first half than he had done the two previous years in varsity football. And we go five and four was a good start. The next year, the bottom kind of fell out mm. and uh, we ended up going two and seven and we were lucky to be two and seven. Uh, we were young. We weren't very talented, but we had a lot of kids coming back. Yeah. The freshman class was pretty good. 
insert some of those guys into roles as sophomores. We go six and four, make it to the playoffs. The next year we go uh, nine and one, uh, win our league, go to the playoffs, lose in the first round. And then I came to Central Catholic uh, after that. So, and then here, uh, again, knock on wood, worst first uh, first year was five and four, second nine and three, third year five and four, and since then it's been yeah seven, eight, nine, went nine, nine up to sure. fifteen wins in a season. So, I hope I'm probably jinxing myself right. Now. <laughs> well, coach, you know, I mean, K Dog Swift talked about that on on his episode that. I mean, he's won a state championship in Oregon. He's been on the cover of national publications yeah. you know, after that season. But he said, he said, Kobo, I've, I had no intent went in there too. And I'm the same guy, but I you know, and I've been there, but he said, he also, he kind of said that he, he felt like he coached his best during the Owen 10 season. And I kind of witnessed that too, you know, being a part of a two and eight team and an Owen 10 team. I'd never really been a part of that. And while doing that, I mean, I, I got better as a coach. I really did. I felt like. And I, I met other coaches uh, in similar situations and networked with them and learned there's a lot of great coaches out there that are going 0-10. And that yeah. may sound counterintuitive, but they really are. And so for at our professional organizations, of course, yes, we want to hear what the state champion did this year. But I think we should also sometimes invite 0-10 coaches, 1-9 coaches, 2-8 coaches that are good ones. Like, we need to hear what they're saying. But I want to ask you this, just from the mental aspect of it, your guy that's had a lot of success in your career. When you had that 2-7 and seven season, how did you deal with it emotionally? Was it something where it weighed heavily on you or were you able to just kind of keep your blinders on and just keep moving forward and turn it around? I'm just, I'm curious about the state of your, your mental state that season and how you got it turned around the next year. Um, I think it was, for me, it was motivating, right? Yeah. yeah. Um, I don't know. We might've done a decent job coaching, but you know, at that age, I was 30 years old. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I everything about success in the way I measured it was on wins and losses. Mm -hmm. And that's a young kid, young adult, you know, yep. myopic, whatever. Yep. Um, and so it was like, okay, let's really let's dig back into what it is that we did. How did we do things? What are strengths going to be next year? And how are we going to approach this offseason and get kids back? Uh, committed to being as good as they can be going into the next season. And I felt like it was more of the blinders on, if you will. It wasn't yeah, woe was yeah. me. It was just like, oh, okay, well, that hasn't happened very often uh, in my life as a player, as an assistant coach. But you better learn from it. Yeah. Otherwise, it, you know, if you're not learning from those losses, if you're not learning from your successes – you know, that kind of thing, uh, you're probably, <laughs> you're probably not going to have sustained success. Uh, you should be learning the entire time uh, that you're a part of whatever that is. So I, I think for me, again, we just, we went, we went back to work and uh, we created a, a better culture, if you will, uh, surrounded our kids with it and, and encouraged them and made some progress. Coach, just two two things that are kind of not football related, but just from your experience there in Idaho and that part of the country. Have you ever been to Coeur d'Alene? I hear it's just beautiful. Coeur d'Alene is gorgeous. Uh, and if you're a golfer, uh, bring <laughs> your clubs with you. The Coeur d'Alene golf course is, is fantastic. It's got the island green. You take a little boat out to it. And, That's awesome. Uh, yeah, it, it's a beautiful, beautiful country up there for sure. 
And then my other question was one time, you know, my wife and I went to go visit Boise and we were in Boise and then we're going to go visit a friend down, down in Reno. Mm-hmm. That drive from Boise to Reno, when you drive through Southeast Oregon, I felt like I was on a different planet. Like I felt <laughs> like I was on Mars. I mean, that <laughs> desert of Southeast yeah. Oregon is something else. Have, do you know what I'm talking about? Oh, yeah. Describe to the listeners what, what's out there. But uh, you have, have some very different topography in the state of Oregon. Yes. Uh, that's for sure. So, you know, you've got the valley, which is, you know, Portland, Salem, Eugene, that kind of thing. Um, an hour west is the Oregon coast. An hour east is Mount Hood. And then you get into the high desert of Bend. And then you get into that desert area of southeast uh, Oregon. Uh, there's some beautiful, beautiful places down there. But it, it it's a little bit wyoming as you're driving through there right there's just like there's not a lot there uh but it's it's a beautiful state for sure yeah no doubt about it that, that whole general part of the country is just so beautiful like uh, this isn't necessarily close to you but missoula montana i just really love that little town yep. i want to go back someday during football season and watch a grizzlies game uh when they play obviously they play when they play state that would be really cool to get to go to that one but yeah. i go to any game uh, th- that would just be so cool. So, you know, last thing you, c- you kind of mentioned, uh, you know, that, that you run a little bit different style of offense than, than coach Swift, you know, our good friend. And I, I know he's an option guy. And so I was going to ask you and you kind of, you kind of uh, told us you're a spread guy. So can you just talk more about that, that philosophy? Cause I'm, I'm always really intrigued by guys that um, if they do go to the extremes, I'm really intrigued by that. Now I know coach Swift is a proud option coach. And I, I think in today's football, that's kind of what I would consider an extreme style of offense in a way. Whenever I was struggling at Aldine, uh, initially I, I toyed of going to the option or going to the slot T, you know, I, I was just looking for some kind of edge of let's do something different that then no one else can see to give us that edge. I'm just curious, your philosophy, are you more of a mainstream kind of spread guy like we see, or are you like a very, extremely heavy passing kind of guy. I'm just curious, your, your variation of the spread. No, we're, we're a pretty balanced spread team. Yeah. We're going to run the read option RPO stuff. And we were, we were dabbling in it before Chip Kelly got to Oregon. Yeah. And once Chip got here, we spent a lot of time down there with them kind of learning at a, at a, a faster pace, how, how to coach it up and, and what are some of the nuances to it. Um, but I'll tell you for me, it's option football. I don't care which yeah, way yeah. you cut it. It's option football. Yeah. And um, it's just a little different. Uh, you're not understanding running split back veer. Uh, you're not running midline. Yeah. Uh, you're not running the T, you know, whatever it is that you're doing. But, you know, over the years, we've been pretty balanced. Uh, you know, I've been fortunate to have some amazing running backs and stuff. In our 2013 team, we had a kid named Cameron Scarlett who played at Stanford and Ryan Nall who played at Oregon State and then played with the Bears and the Cowboys. And uh, there's in 2013, we're playing the state semifinals against Tiger. And I won't have this exactly right, but Ryan had, I think, 16 carries for 325 yards and, and Cameron had 17 carries for 360 yards and yeah. the final score was 83 to 49. It was like a video game. Yeah, but yeah. So my I guess my point is like you go with what your strengths are as a coach. Uh, I'm not going to try to fit kids into a system. I want to try to fit our system to our right. kids right. Uh, from year to year. And we think we're uh, flexible enough to do different things based on that uh, skill sets that our guys have. You know, we'll throw it more if we've got a better quarterback and, yep. and, uh, some better receivers um, 
and we'll run it more when we got some division one guys i mean it's not rocket science get it to the guys that are really good yeah i like what you said there coach and and this is not to disparage option offenses because I, I love option offenses. I yeah. love watching the service academies when they get out there mm-hmm. and just seeing that. But what my when I was toying with the idea, my offensive coordinator said, Kovo, man, I see what you're saying, but just because we're a spread team doesn't mean that we can't run the football and control the clock. Because that's oh, what yeah. happened initially. We were trying to go too up-tempo. We didn't have the depth. And so, yes, we were scoring. We'd score 28 points in a game, but we'd give up 72. You know, and so that kind of things are happening. But he did a really great job of then controlling the tempo. And I always remember we went 2-18 and for my career, but we actually beat a playoff team in one of those wins. It was the craziest win of my life, my most proudest moment. One of those days where, like, everything for an upset to happen happened. It was pouring down rain. They turned it over a ton. They had a ton of penalties. And despite all that, we still had to get an interception in our own end zone to seal the game we won by like That's four awesome. points but well, I, yeah but last thing i was going to say on that before i turn back over is to salt that game away he ran the heck out of the football here we are this this supposed spread team but we pounded mm-hmm. the rock that afternoon so just i'm really curious your thoughts on, on that you know the, the the multiplicity of that spread offense well i again i think it's if you look at it as a finesse thing, you're you're looking at it the wrong way and sure, even sure, sure. you know mike leach air raid i mean they're physical yes. You yes, know, yes. Um, you watch air raid teams, they're physical. It's just a different type of physicality. I, even you were talking about no huddle and, and pace and that kind of thing. Uh, you know, forever I was a huddle guy. And uh, that coming out of that two and seven season, we had started a sophomore quarterback. And uh, he was a li- little bit surly, to say the least. Mm-hmm. He would get on guys. We like to say he MF guys quite yeah, a bit yeah. in huddle, right? And we weren't running a lot of plays, maybe hitting about 42 to 44 plays a game. And I sat down and was like, all right, we got to, we got to change something. We got to generate more offense. So how are we going to do that? So, yeah, that was part of it. We want to run more plays, but the genesis of why we went no huddle that year is because I didn't want to give that kid the opportunity to MF kids in the huddle anymore. (laughs) I swear to God. That is awesome. And it was just like, he could do it on the sideline from time to time, but he didn't have time in the huddle to just get on guys. He was a really good player, played at Utah State and, and uh, you know, uh, you know, just fantastic player. But anyway, that's how we came to it. But it wasn't, again, going back to the finesse versus the physical. We're going to be a physical team. We're, we want to make it a phone booth type of game as much as possible. And if you're going to give us numbers on the outside, we're going to get it out there. But we expect our receivers to be physical. Uh, if you no block, no rock, right? And that's you know you you got to have that mentality. I love what you said about the the leech air raid. And you know I live here in Houston. I'm a Houston Cougars season ticket holder. We have an air raid guy. His name Dana Holgerson. Yeah. And I think fans, the 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 casual fan, the average fan, you know your, your regular guy, they just think, oh, it's air raid. We're just going to score 80 points every game and win every game. It just, it's not that easy. And I think people here are getting frustrated because Coach Holgerson is, is one of those guys like you described. He's like a – he wants to run the football. He tried – he kind of morphed, right, after initial success at West Virginia, kind of put his defense out there in some tough situations, and he slowed it down just like we did at Aldean. And yeah. I think people now, they – I don't know, they, they want to have their cake and eat it too. It's just not that easy to just outscore everybody all the time. So – I guess that's my last question for you, coach. You're a guy that's been in the kind of air raid spread system for a long time. You mentioned catering to your team. Can you just talk a little bit more about that? Like whenever you're trying to dial it up for the season and find that right mixture 
of run and pass? Like what are some nuggets and some gems you can give to us to help younger coaches find that right mixture? Well, I think you need to take a, a serious look at who your personnel is, uh, you know, and uh, you you know what's coming up from the freshman squad or the JV squad and what's coming back on the varsity squad and being able to look at the strengths that those kids have displayed uh, in previous seasons and, and build out your playbook. Um, you know, we're going through that as a staff in the off season right now. What is it that we do well and how are we filling our, our silos of plays, if you will. And I'm a yeah. big guy. All right. If one's going in, one's got to come out because we don't have enough time to practice it. it especially it. in Oregon where it's, Kids are playing both ways. We get them an hour a day, basically, to teach them stuff. So who are we going to be? And so I think it's, you know, looking at those strengths. Like, we have an exceptional quarterback coming back. And I, if you let Coach Holgerson know, this kid's yeah. the real deal. But uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I love, he, he can wait. run yeah. it. He can throw it. He's athletic. He's the best kid. So now we're starting to think about, okay, so how do we put him in a – position to help us without getting him hurt as sure, the sure, running sure. quarterback that max dugan kind of guy yep, yep. you know but you know and then how are we you know keeping kids uh excited about playing so what we do and this is this kind of a i'll try not to be too long here but in 2013 i sat down with my staff and said we are going to start 22 kids we're not going to be two platoon, but we're going to start 22 different kids in our program. And then each coach, you're responsible to set a rotation for your position coach. So if you're receivers, you might have eight guys you think you can play. And you're going to tell those guys, hey, you first four, you're going to get six plays. Second four, you're going to get four plays. Uh, you know, and it's going to rotate like that throughout the season. And same thing defensively everywhere, right? So in 2013, we were playing 40 to 45 guys in the first half of games, just rotating guys through kind of like a hockey line change, if you will. Mm -hmm. What it does is it increases the competition in practice because kids know that they are going to play if they are in that rotation. It gives you a line of delineation for your sophomores and your juniors that if you're not in that rotation, you're a full-time JV player because we want you to continue to develop Love and it. not just Love it. walk on the sidelines, right? This yep. isn't about me hating you. This is about me loving you and wanting you to get better. I love it. And then what happens is, and I tell our guys, if it's first and goal on the eight-yard line and it's the second rotation guy's turn to be in the game, he goes in. I don't care what the score of the game is. I don't care any of that. We're going to make the playoffs. We're going to be fine. But if we pull that kid out of there, we've told him that we don't trust him and he's not good enough to play in that situation. Now, if you fast forward to the second round of the playoffs and that starter gets hurt, right? Yep. And that kid goes in in the same situation and he fails. That's on us as coaches. It's not on him as a player because we didn't put him in a position to fail or succeed and be able to teach off of that. Now, what the last thing on this is, as we get through nine games of our regular season, our, I allow my coaches to to narrow the rotation in the playoffs if they see it's warranted, mm -hmm. right? You've had nine games to show us that you can perform at a certain level. We have analytics. We have the film. You're not cutting it, yeah. right? This right. is the transparency, honesty piece of things. Or you are, and we're going to continue to roll. Right. Yeah. And then I tell my seniors who aren't in the rotation, you're not going to play in a game until it's no longer in doubt. Yeah. And 
you should expect to play your best football as a senior and you haven't prepared yourself to that point, that's not on me. We've given you every opportunity to, to develop. And uh, that, that's just kind of how we've rolled for the last 11 years. And, you know, knock on wood, four state championships and a runner up later, that's been a really good thing for us. And putting kids first and winning second has been the biggest piece of that turnaround, in my opinion. We were always pretty competitive, never could get over that hump. I started putting kids first and winning second, and uh, uh, it's made all the difference in the world. Man, you, that's what you should be presenting on clinics at. I really like that philosophy. I like, I like the thought process behind it because in my head, I'm thinking like injuries are going to happen. And too many times what happens is an ill-prepared kid who's never been under those bright lights has to go in there and play meaningful football. And yep. I, I, I think that's a great idea. And like you said, even if his rotation shortens in the playoffs, he's had those nine regular season games. Yeah. He's, he's ready at that point. If, if yeah. he'd be in a pinch. Absolutely. So, yeah, absolutely. Well, I love that coach. Now let's, we've talked a lot of positivity. I'm going to go a little bit of the negativity in sports right now. Cause I do like to talk about this and address it. I love coaches, man. Coaches made such a difference in my life. I always share with my listeners, like I was a kid that kind of dealt with some domestic abuse issues at home and, and just wanted to get the hell out of the house and get to school. Or my coach Kitterman was my, my superhero and he loved me and made me feel good about myself and all that kind of stuff. So coaches should be celebrated. They should not be, cussed out in the stands and, and questioned and all that stuff. Some of the stuff that I see now as a broadcaster and that really pisses me off, you know? So <laughs> my question is, I, I understand that those parents, I recently became a dad for the first time, you know, 10 months ago. And I understand those parents that they love their kids. And so that's why they're, that's why they're behaving like that. They, they it's coming out of a place of love, but I think it's extremely misguided. It should not be an adversarial relationship. Like those coaches are the best, the most important, Outside of the parents, the coaches are some of the most important people in these kids' lives to help mm-hmm. them grow as a human being. This, as you said earlier. So my question is, when you do have parents that are doing that are quote unquote bad sports parents, they're doing negative stuff in the stands, complaining about coaches, yelling at referees constantly, all that kind of stuff that we see sometimes. I think it's not good for the kid. What advice would you give to any parents that listen to this? What advice would you give to a parent to allow that child to have the best possible athletic experience? If they have the time and the inclination to read Bruce Brown uh, in proactive coaching, that's what that yeah. to me is what it's about. He's like, there are you're a coach, you're a player, yes. you're an official, you're a parent. You can't be, you know, you can only be one. Stay in your lane, right? Yes. And as a parent, yes. your job should be simply to love your kid and be proud of your kid for having the courage, if nothing else, of being a part of a team and being part of something greater than themselves that will end up, hopefully down the road, uh, return benefits to that kid in their job, in their marriage, in their community. Yeah. That, that to me, is really what it should be about. And, and you're not going to uh, you know, solve all those problems. There's always going to be parents that have a certain view or a certain, uh, you know, acts to grind or whatever. And that, right. that's, that's life. I, I had an old assistant coach of mine, uh, for a long time. Uh, I remember the first time we got back here, we had just come over from Wilson and we're walking in and we had a parent approach us and started chipping a little bit. Mm-hmm. And my assistant coach took off his whistle and held it out just <laughs> like that. And the guy's like, what? He goes, Hey, you can join the staff and have a voice. And, but if you're not willing to join the staff, you can't have the, have, have a voice. Yeah. It's like, that was perfect. The guy shut up, 
everything was, you know, you just, sometimes you just have to put people in their place. Right. Yeah. Um, I, I'm just as guilty. I'm a, you know, I've got two kids that are grown, but I go watch them play and, and I'd be in the middle of the game and I'm like, you know, yeah, but yeah. once we got in the car, it was, I love you. I'm proud of you. How do you feel about today? And if you're not well, we're ready to talk about it right now, that's okay. You you can come to me when you're ready to talk about it because well, a lot of, yeah. and I yeah. tell our parents this at our parent meeting, if you're telling your kid what a, what a piece of crap I am or what a poor, poor play caller or whatever uh, I am, as much as you think they're not listening to you, your children are listening to you. And then when they come to practice, that's the voice they're hearing in their head, not my voice trying to get them to do this particular skill or drill or, or whatever. They're thinking, well, my dad thinks you're a piece of crap. So sorry, you know, I'm not going to give you my best effort today. And don't parents realize that, th that they're spiting themselves by doing that? Absolutely. This is your kid's coach, whether you like it or not. And so when you say that he can't call plays, you're you're cutting that kid's legs out from under him. Because like you and said, it, no matter yeah. what, he's not going to be able to fully, or he or she is not going to be able to fully block that out. It's going to impact the way that they respect the coach. And that's going to impact their performance. So it's like, if you really want the best for your kid, you're, you're telling that kid, son, listen to your coach Pine, everything he says, you say, yes, sir. You know, I mean, that that's good parenting, right? But uh, I would think so, but you know, yeah. It is what it is. It's 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 uh, the time that we live in. We just try to be proactive in how we approach it with our parents. Try to lay out some standards. I'm not a rules guy. I don't like rules. I love standards. That way, I can right. judge you versus somebody else in your particular situation, and we're not boxed into rules. And so, I hold my parents to a standard as well. And and hopefully, what happens is that standard permeates in the, in the grandstands and our parents are the ones that are regulating that behavior, you know? Yeah. Great point. Now, I that that's a perfect segue coach. You could host your own podcast. Cause that was the <laughs> next question I was going to ask you. I, I love what you said about the four roles from, you know, uh, Brown's book. There's the second team player podcast alum that, that shared that it's way back in episode five, Carmen Solis Martinez said the exact same thing. She's a volleyball coach. And it just mm -hmm. shows like good coaches are good coaches. doesn't matter what sport, but question I have for you. I was in a situation, and you're a longtime uh, athletic administrator, you know, as a coordinator, you know, and I was in a situation where I was broadcasting a game and a friend of mine was, is a head basketball coach here in the Houston area. I happened, I didn't even realize it. I went to go sit down. I was like, oh, it's, this is one of my buddy's games that I'm going to call tonight. I'm sitting behind some parents and I'm making, they're very friendly to me and they see me setting up and making small talk with me. And I, they're very friendly. And I, and I say, oh, hey, you know, actually my, my buddy is your, is the coach, is your coach, you know, instantly their demeanor changes. It's like they were so friendly and suddenly they became very kind of cold, even kind of like hostile. And yeah. the dad turns around and he says to me, well, you might want to shut your ears then because he's terrible. And we're, we, you know, basically saying like, you know, we, we, we let him know it. And we all, you know, we all think he's terrible. And I was so shocked coach. I've just never been face of that kind of negativity. Like I said, I literally said, okay. And I turned around and kept setting up my stuff. And I, yeah. I, I really struggled with this coach. I'm really curious your opinion. I've asked a bunch of people on the show, as the game went on, they continued. They were bad mouthing coach all game, bad mouthing his substitutions, bad mouthing certain players on the team, yelling at officials during you know and during timeouts when it's silent, just yelling at officials, telling them how terrible they are. And I'm sitting right behind them, and it took everything I had not to just get up in their face, say, "You you you people are the the problem with sports, right? You know, and please stop." Right. And I'm glad that I didn't, I guess, looking back on it, because I think I would have just escalated the situation. They were obviously already upset. <laughs> yeah. But I guess, what do you, what should I have done? Because I, I also, I feel bad because I, I, I let it go. I did not hold a standard right. in that moment. 
Should I, I have gone I, and talked to an administrator and let them know? What, what, what advice do you have for us in those situations? I, I think that's where, you know, for me, that's one of those ones where if the parents aren't regulating it in the stands for whatever reason, you've got to get the site administrator or the site yeah. supervisor to come over and intervene in that situation. Uh, it, it's just not positive for right. anybody. And that's, right. I, I don't know about you guys in Texas, but we have an official shortage in the state of Oregon. We have last year, we had to play uh, three Thursday games and a Saturday game just be, so that our officials could work all the games in the Portland area. Um, that's part of the problem is, is parents and, and to some extent coaches aren't real, uh, you know, howdy duty with them, you know, sure, sure. Yeah. you know, but, uh, for the most part, it's, it's parents and it's, and it's compensation in our state. We don't pay them. The bus driver that drives the kids to the game and sits on their butt for two hours while the game's going on, get paid more than the official, but that's, that's, that's above my pay grade but we need to pay them more. I uh, totally, totally agree, coach. On the, on the flip side of that, I was recently, um, you know, for my, for my day job, I was at a, a coach's convention in Arkansas and they were talking, it, it's become an issue because actually what's happened there is the opposite of what you're describing. Yes. They've underpaid them for a long time, but now that the shortage is happening, the balance of power has kind of shifted to the officials where they're in high demand because there's so few mm -hmm. of them. And so they've, they've bonded together and have said, we're not going to accept these pay rates and so they've really driven up the price of fish. Maybe I shouldn't say this out loud because maybe in Oregon they're all going <laughs> to link arms and you're going to have a problem if they listen to my podcast. But do it. that's become an issue, right? And, and what's happening is part of it is these bad parents are driving officials out. And it's, there's huh. so many problems. And, and the, the ADs were saying, like, at this rate, what's going to happen is if these, if these prices keep rising, it's just going to be the end of the sport. You know, these, yeah. some of these sports are just going to go away because we can't afford to pay officials. That's too bad. That, yeah, it's it's a problem that needs to be you know, addressed, and I think you know more and more with the way our society has kind of turned in a sim a different way in terms of you know it's okay to say whatever you want. There's no consequences sure. to anything sure. that you can say. I can hide behind my Twitter handle and and yeah. you know call you a piece of doo doo or whatever. Right, right, right. Um, it, it it permeates into everything else, but. Uh, uh, I, I have two good friends in Arkansas, just since you mentioned that, Daryl Patton at Southwest, uh, uh, Little Rock, the Griffins okay. down there, a friend of mine, and Keith Fimple, I believe Keith's at Springdale uh, up there okay. in uh, Fayetteville area. So was uh, lucky enough to coach with those guys in the uh, USA International Bowl down there at uh, Jerry World. So that was a lot of fun. After the show, coach, I'm going to ask for those contacts. I'd love to. Okay. I've never had any from Arkansas, from the Razorback State on the show, and also from Idaho. So just yeah. think, be thinking about that. If you have some good Idaho coaches, I'd love to have my first uh, coach Fair there enough. from Idaho. But yeah. man, I, I really appreciate you sharing that, coach. And I'm challenging myself because I'm not necessarily a confrontational person, but I'm just I'm fed up with it. I hate it. And so if I see that again, and I'm challenging all my listeners too, because we all see this in these games, don't just let it go. That's the worst thing we do is just let it go. The second worst thing is to confront them. But the best thing, at least let the site administrator know. And even if they don't act on in that moment, at least they're aware of it and they can create a plan because yeah. we can't keep going on like this. It's not good for any party, whether it's the players, the coaches, or the no. officials. So it's, more good for the parents themselves. That's not good. Yeah, I, I've said this before, and, and I, it was uh, you know, the, the coach's dream team is a, is a, is a uh, team of orphans, right? I've heard that joke. <laughs> I had a parent of mine who who was, you know, he's actually a TCU alum and uh, on the board there and all that stuff. But he come up to me after the meeting and said, yeah, but who's going to pay for it? 
And I was like, fair enough. Fair enough. <laughs> yeah. I think it might have been Kevin Swift actually that told me that same joke on his episode. So I, I, that, that, that's the good of it. We don't, we don't get out much here in Oregon. So there you go. <laughs> Man, so that, I, I love that coach. And let's just talk about some of the you, – this list of people you've met, I guess, through the clinic circuit and just going up. And, I mean, it's an incredible list. I'm going to kind of run through it. I know there's a couple of them you've highlighted that actually have a pretty cool story. So we'll, we'll definitely yeah. dig into those. But stop me at any point. But some of these names, Bill Walsh. Yeah. Oh Legend of status. And then John Madden, you said kind of a unique story. Do you want to, you want to share that one? <laughs> well, I, I met Coach Walsh and Coach uh, Madden in the same thing. I was part of the U, uh, the NFL Youth Summit back in like 2002. So yeah. we were back in Canton, Ohio for the Hall of Fame induction stuff. And uh, Coach Walsh had spoken at the clinic we were at. And Dennis Green was there as well. And I'd known Dennis uh, for a while. He came and spoke at Wilson High School for me. And so we, I got a picture in my office with Dennis Green and Bill Walsh. It's it's pretty cool. Um, John Madden was more of a, a bump. So we're at the Hall of Fame ceremony. This is when Jim Kelly was inducted. And yeah. I go into the field house to go to the bathroom. And I stand. I end up standing right next to Coach Madden. And I you know, awkwardly say hello as we're both at the urinal. And he says, <laughs> I was like, okay, well, yeah. that was – awkward but at least i got to meet john madden i didn't go boom or anything like that yeah, yeah, don't fist bump him so. <laughs> too funny man and then then so we talked about dennis green in the same meeting and then jim harbaugh I and mean, i'm a big michigan fan so i thought that was so cool you you was, was this just a very quick passing or did you actually get to interact with coach harbaugh you know it was he was in our building last year we had a tight end uh by the name of riley williams is at miami now okay. and uh, coach harbaugh was here with his son jay and uh visiting and we actually had quite a bit of time together, probably 35, 40 minutes uh, just to hang out. He's a very unique guy. Um, yeah, definitely. <laughs> but he is who he is, and that's what I appreciate about him. He doesn't make apologies for who who he is. It was great. Our our uh, president emeritus father, our Monsignor Tim Murphy and him, I put them together, and the next thing I know, they're having a discussion about all their favorite saints uh, throughout time. Wow. And it was incredible. It was really yeah. an incredible uh, thing to be a part of and and uh just i i enjoyed my time with coach harbaugh for sure great story there and another kind of in that stanford tree i guess you know david shaw the longtime stanford coach that's I, i've always been a fan of his just the kind of i know it's fallen off a little bit recently but i mean come on he's had such consistency over his career such longevity he, he's he's a great guy uh he he recruited uh uh, Cameron Scarlett and Silas Starr uh, are two guys that were at Stanford. And I uh, was lucky enough to have dinner with David when he was recruiting Cameron. Uh, and we went down as a staff down to Stanford to learn more about their 3-4 defense. And, uh, and uh, just can't say enough good things about the guy. I, there, there's got to be a legit reason why he decided to walk away. Um, and I think it was probably more that he felt that maybe he wasn't doing as good a job as sure. that as Stanford deserved. And, and the humility of that guy to say, yeah, it's time for me to step away. Yep. That, that, that doesn't always happen in this, in this yeah. profession. No doubt. He, he's first class. And then Lincoln Riley is a guy he's 
He's not well-liked around these parts. I guess if you're a Texas fan, you didn't like him from being an OU. And then if you're in the Oklahoma and you're a Sooner fan, you don't like him either anymore. So uh, Lincoln Riley, you know, headed out West. Uh, Dan Lanning, Mario Cristobal, Mike Riley. I just kind of made a note here just because I'm like, I'm such a big fan of spring league football. Like I love the XFL and the Houston Roughnecks and the, the USFL is where Coach Riley coached last year at the New Jersey Generals. And I just kind of always enjoyed, uh, you know, him being in the game, a great coach, Jonathan Smith. Mike Leach, I mean, for our Texas listener, I think we got to pause on that one. I mean, he, he's just – he's one of a kind, man, the, the, a true pirate, you know, and it, we just – we love him down here, and so I'm just curious your your Mike Leach story. It, it was – he was in the building uh, recruiting or whatever and uh, just had a, a – it was a pretty brief conversation, maybe a 10-minute conversation, not a single thing about football, not a single yes. thing about – That checks uh, out with Coach Leach. kid or anything like that. It was just uh, – I can't even remember what he was talking about uh, at the time, but uh, really just a genuine guy. And and uh, there's no facade on that guy. He is who, or he was who he was. And what a, what a shame and what a tragedy, tragedy that uh, of his passing for sure. Yeah, man, he, he was the best. And I, I, I can't remember who told me this story, but one day, you know, they, they were at the game and their son, they came super early and coach Leach actually kind of goes out before the game and talks to some of the fans and, he ended up bringing the, the little boy onto the field and played catch with him for a little bit. And had, and then like the next time, you know, that, that, that they were at the game, a staffer came up to the dad and said, Hey, coach Leach wants to coach Leach wants to know where Charlie's at. Or, <laughs> you know, and so awesome. he still remembered the kid's name yeah. and invited him back on the field. So just really cool, so cool stuff, so yeah. cool stuff there. And uh, Chip Kelly, of course, kind of, you know, research, uh, you know, a resurgence in, in his career, you know, out there, Brian Kelly, a guy that, yeah. I guess I'm just not the biggest Brian Kelly fan. Maybe it's my Michigan bias when he's at Notre Dame. I, I don't know. There's something about. Did, did you get to kind of meet Coach Kelly and speak with him in depth? I'm curious on that. What, what he's. Yeah. Like. No, we had he again w- when Cameron was being uh, recruited. Um, had dinner with Coach Kelly, and uh, he was as nice and genuine uh, as could have been. And uh, my brother and I actually. Um, went back and saw Notre Dame and Stanford play where both my brother and I are huge Notre Dame fans, but we went back and pl- watched uh, them play Stanford and uh, was nice enough to, you know, get a tour of the locker room and get down on the field and the facilities. And uh, just a, just a class guy, in my opinion, I know there's some opinions out there that maybe not so much, but in my interactions with coach Kelly, it was nothing but first class. Totally believe you. And he's a heck of a coach. Everywhere he goes, he wins. Mm-hmm. And I, like I said, I think it is just, Something about his demeanor, I think a lot of people just get a bad vibe from him, yeah. of like cockiness or something. And I think it's for me, it's accentuated because I'm a Michigan fan. Of course, you know, you're a Notre Dame fan. You get it. We have yeah, a, sure. kind of a little rivalry going there. But sure. I, I believe you. I totally believe you. I'm pretty sure my my, <laughs> my thoughts are unfounded. Uh, Rick Neuheisel, you know, and who's gone on to a media career, you know, mm-hmm. always hear him on the radio. And Lane Kiffin, and you said, and I, I kind of like, I didn't like Lane Kiffin at first. He kind of rubbed me the wrong way, but now he's just kind of getting, he's almost turning to a leech in a way. He's just kind of different and eccentric. Yeah. I'm here for it. So just tell me, what was your funny Lane Kiffin story? So 2012, he's the head coach at USC. I think it was 2012, maybe at 11. They're recruiting uh, Brennan Scarlett, Cameron's older brother, who plays for the Dolphins now. Yeah, didn't he play for the Texans? Brennan he Scarlett? That's the Texans, yeah. Oh, very cool, yep. yeah. Yep. So we're down there for a family wedding. And so my son is like 11 at the time, maybe. And so I set up a tour of UCLA and a tour of USC for my son and I. So we go to UCLA, everything's cool. Go over to USC, take a tour. We get up to the office to meet coach uh, Kiffin. 
And he walks out, introduces himself, and he looks at my son. He says, hey, Zach, have you ever held a Heisman Trophy before? Wow. And it's like, no, sir, I have not. And Lane walks back into his office and grabs Reggie Bush's Heisman Trophy. I was going to ask if it was that one. <laughs> yeah, this is the greatest thing. He hands it to my son, and he goes, I just want you to know, Zach, you're probably the last person that's ever going to hold that. And I, 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 was, I was like, that is fantastic. So my son had no idea what it meant. He was 11. He wasn't a huge, you know, SC fan or anything like that. But uh, I've appreciated Lane's, uh, you know, uh, humor. And then he's an amazing Twitter follow, in my opinion. Whoever's running his Twitter account is doing a great job. I just remember the one, there was some game two years ago where there, there was a big delay at the stadium. I don't know if it's Ole Miss in Tennessee but the Tennessee fans like are throwing like through like a golf ball at him or something. He just catches it in stride yeah. as he's leaving the stadium. And I just, I really like that guy. And that, that totally checks yeah. out that he's funny. Like well, that. I think you're looking at a guy that was probably way too young when he got his first job. Yes, correct, right? correct. And now he's matured and understands what he didn't know yep. uh, back when he was thrust onto the scene. Totally. agree. Uh, yeah. Oh, totally. Totally agree. Now, as far as fandom for your favorite teams, I mean, I'm wearing my Clyde Drexler, Clyde the Glide Blazers jersey here in your honor. All the fans know I collect jerseys. That's kind of my thing. Uh, he's, he's a native Houstonian. He went to Sterling High School here in Houston. And of course, he was a member of the Houston Cougars, who we're hoping can go all the way in the big dance uh, this, uh, this March. Jamma, right? Yeah, he was in Five Slamma Jamma with Hakeem Olajuwon. Absolutely. Yeah. Now, it's interesting for me because, you know, my company is based out of Brookings, South Dakota. And so, a lot of my coworkers, you know, that's where South Dakota State is located. He's got a, obviously a national champion this year, right. uh, you know, in, in FCS football. And so a lot of them, because they don't have a pro sports team, I do meet people that they can kind of, in some ways, sometimes they go up the closest. They go to Minnesota or Denver or whatever, but they can also kind of be free to pick and choose. I've met some Yankees fans, you know, in South Dakota <laughs> and stuff like that. And so for you, you just have the Blazers. Yeah. And that, that's all. And so you kind of had that. And so your, your favorite team list is extremely interesting to me. So of course you got the Portland trailblazers. Yeah. I didn't see this one coming, but maybe it's the success in the eighties, but Washington commanders, but that's the yep. other side of the country. So what, what was yep. it? Was it just, you fell in love with the hogs or, or yep. Doug Williams or what was it? <laughs> it was, it was the hogs. It was John Riggins. Yeah. Riggo, yeah. Style of play. Yeah. I thought Joe Gibbs as a, as a guy that was thinking I want to be a coach one day, Joe Gibbs kind of just had that thing about him and to be able to go to four Super Bowls with four different quarterbacks. Um, unbelievable. Just, I would, it was great because it was always the early game on the West Coast and I could watch them play and along with the Smurfs and the Hogs yeah. and the, it's just, I just loved watching the the Redskins at the time. Now the Commanders. Yeah, sure. yep. I, I love that. And then uh, Notre Dame. And I, again, you, you, cause you have great, I mean, you have the history of the Pac-10, Pac-12, you know, uh, out there on the West Coast. And so for you to go to the Midwestern and become a Golden Domer, I mean, what, what was that? Was it just Joe Montana or uh, I think it's uh, as Lou Holtz called us uh, Subway alumni, right? So, <laughs> uh, you grew up watching Notre Dame in a Catholic household, right? Sure, sure, sure. And, sure. Um, that was a, the biggest part of it, and just you know, obviously the the storied history, seven national or however many I think, yeah, seven Heisman Trophy winners, eleven national champ, whatever it is, one of those two. Uh, anyway, I, I just enjoyed the style of football and. Uh, you know, Coach Holtz was, you know, right in my wheelhouse, you know, mid 80s, you know, had an impact on me. I've listened to Coach Holtz talk three or four times and just uh, enamored with the way that he approached things. 
And then lastly, the St. Louis Cardinals. Of course, they've had a lot of success as well. But again, you, you kind of went into the Midwest here. So I'm just curious, <laughs> what was it about the, the, uh, the, the Redbirds there that, that, that drew your attention? Uh, I, I just think it was an era thing, right? It was Ozzie Smith. It was Willie McGee. It was Daryl Porter. It was just that that time that when I was growing up, they were pretty good. And and I enjoyed watching them, you know, so that, that's how that rolls out. Well, Coach, we always end the show. We put you on the hot seat. I'm going to ask you some, some tough fan questions here. So give yeah. me your St. Louis Cardinals, Mount Rushmore. So that's your top four all time. Who, who are your favorite all time top four St. Louis Cardinals? It starts and stops with Ozzie Smith. That, I that's mean, mine. Yeah, that's. Is there sure a better shortstop yeah. ever? I don't. Acrobatics. I loved it. Hard. Yeah. Hard to top him. Stan Musial, obviously uh, yeah. uh, legendary. Bob Gibson, unbelievable pitcher. Uh, the last one I kind of toyed with. I think Albert Pujols makes it in there for sure. me. Sure. And 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 because and I already mentioned his name because of the era, I think those four guys are up there, but. Daryl Porter's climbing the mountain for me just because he was such a gritty player and yeah. tough. He kind of reminded me of Pete Rose a little bit, you right, know, just sure. tough and gritty. I, I just enjoyed the way he played. And you know, you're not the first Cardinals fan I've had that, you know, has not lived in that in that St. Louis metro area or anything. So the Cardinals do attract fandom. I always ask this question because this guy has gotten left off of the other Mount Rushmore's, my other guests, but Mark McGuire. I'm just curious because again, from my era, remembering that that monumental summer yeah. of his chase yeah. Sammy Sosa like this is he just in a different like Cardinals fans don't see him in that kind of light I'm just curious you know, I, I think that to me when I think of Mark McGuire I think of the Bash Brothers and I think oh, the Oakland sure sure right yeah. not that I dismiss his time with the Cardinals because that was a magical summer he and Sammy Sosa you know neck and neck with each other you know the whole steroid thing whatever sure. you know sure. you know they're professionals. Do whatever you want. It's your body. I'm with you on that camp. To me, Barry Bonds is a Hall of Famer. I'm with you on that. I mean, that... 100%. 100%. So is Roger Clemens. Yeah. So Absolutely. Totally yeah. agree with that. And I don't want to get us too off the rails, but like, you know, and this is not to throw DeAndre Hopkins uh, under the bus or anything, but he gets busted for PEDs trying to come back from an injury. But because he's a football player, he serves his suspension and it's just over. Yeah. You know, there's these a... baseball guys have to live with it forever. <laughs> There's a great uh, podcast called Revisionist History with Malcolm Gladwell, and he does a whole podcast on the difference between using performance-enhancing drugs to better yourself and what, or to come back from injury, and why is it that we can wear a, a cast to help us come back from an injury, but we can't take a, a, a steroid or a PED to help us come back from an injury. It's a really interesting podcast. Very interesting. Yeah, no, no, I'm with you on that, Coach. Now, let's go back to – let's go to the Irish here. Uh, let's talk yeah. about the Fighting Irish. Uh, now we're going to go to start, bench, cut. So you got to start one, bench one, and cut one. Now, I've got two receivers here, one running back. So it's a little bit wonky, but you, you kind of get yeah. the idea. We're just having fun here. So let's go Timmy Brown, long-time Oakland Raider. Oakland Raider. <laughs> I, I love his career in the NFL. <laughs> one of the best names in all of sports, Ragib the Rocket Ismail. And then another great name, the bus, Jerome Bettis. Who, who would you start? Who would you bench? Who would you cut? Uh, I'm, I'm going to start Tim Brown. Yeah, just I like that. He's so dynamic, not only offensively, but in the return game. I'm re reluctantly benching Jerome Bettis. Okay. And then I'm going to cut Rocket, you know, That's because right. he was good. Don't get me wrong, but he was no Tim Brown. Yeah, I, <laughs> I like that. I like that. I think I would have gone the same way. Uh, let's go to a Washington start bench cut here. And again, th this is 
this is all over the place. We've got a defensive player in there, but we're just saying in your fandom, where do these guys rank? Daryl Green, another Houston Texan, went to Jones High School, and he went to Texas A&M Kingsville. Art Monk, this is one of my all-time favorite. He, he was my favorite Redskin. I just I, There was something that Art Monk, I just loved that he was kind of, to me, he was in that elite echelon of wide receivers, but just didn't have the panache around him like a Jerry Rice right. in the fanfare, but he was really good. He was right really? up there with those guys. And then you mentioned him, Rigo. John Riggins the, <laughs> out of Kansas. A lot of good running backs coming out of KU there. So start yeah. bench cut, Daryl Green, Art Monk, John Riggins. I'm starting John Riggins every day and twice on Sundays uh, <laughs> for sure. Uh, I, I'm going to bench Art Monk uh, for a lot of reasons so he can come off and make something happen. Yeah. And I it breaks my heart to cut Daryl Green, but he was amazing yes, uh, was. defensive back. Oh, my goodness. Fast as the, the day is long, man. Absolutely. And last one here, Coach, the Blazers <laughs> start bench cut. We're going lots of different generations here, which is pretty cool if you're history. But I think for the Blazers, it's pretty clear who the top three are. So I think it's pretty clear that I picked the probably the three here, and I'm really curious how you mm. rank them. You may have some other opinion. I'm curious if, if anyone should be substituted. But I, I picked start bench cut, Clyde the Glide Drexler, like we said, out of Houston, Texas, Bill Walton there out of UCLA, and then more recently, Damian Lillard, uh, out of Weber state. And he's really become the face of the franchise in an era where so many people kind of like to form a super team. He's been really outspoken of saying, no, I'm, I'm here to ride to the city of Portland. So I imagine that you guys just love him. Uh, yeah. But, yeah. Curious your thoughts there. Clyde Drexler, Bill Walton. Right. Damian Miller. So I'm going to, I'm starting Dame. Cause yeah, there's I'll no more it. clutch than Dame Lillard. Yeah. Uh, I'm benching Clyde, which is hard to do, and I'm going to cut Bill because he's probably going to get injured anyway. Okay. Uh, <laughs> no, so that, I like what's one healthy, one healthy I'm curious, though. Did I make a mistake? Was there somebody that should have been – because I can tell Bill Walton you kind of quickly dismissed. So was there somebody else that should have been in that third spot rather than Bill Walton? I'm going to go uh, kind of out on a limb here and saying uh, Arvita Sabonis. Sabonis, great yep. call. If you got he him in was, his prime, yes. I if we would have had him with Drexler and Porter and Kersey, not that Duckworth wasn't great, but sure. Sabonis was different. Yes, he was. He was a different player. That was fun, coach. I love anytime Arvidas Sabonis gets brought up, that makes my day because he <laughs> he was awesome. Yeah, he was awesome. So, you know, if, if you've enjoyed this as much as I have, again, please take the moment, give us the five-star rating that drives up the chart so more people will find the show when they search for a sports podcast. Hit the follow button to subscribe and hear new episodes as soon as they come out each week. Follow me on Twitter at Coach underscore Kovo. That's Coach underscore K-O-V-O. You can hit us up at TeamPlayerPodcast at gmail.com and give us feedback. Let us know people we should have on the show or things we can do better. We'd love to hear from you. As always, the cover art and music for the Team Player Podcast is provided by two of my former players. The cover art is by Kaiser St. Cyr. And our intro and exit music is One More Good Enough from Avrion's self-titled debut album. You can find his music on all platforms by searching for Avrion. That's A-V-R-I-O-N. Coach, this was so much fun. And this is what I love about this show. I've never met you before. We didn't know each other from Adam, but two days ago, we connected on Twitter. You quickly got this set up. I love how responsive you were and quickly getting it set up. And man, I had a blast talking to you, especially when we got to that Blazers talk, man. That was fun. <laughs> Coach, this was this was fantastic. A lot of fun. And uh, encourage any of those other coaches out there that might you might reach out to to do this. Uh what, what a great way to share some knowledge and share some experience and, and just continue the uh, the, the, the uh, growth of coaches. I think it's a great thing.
Absolutely. So thanks a huge thank you again to Steve Pine. Thank you to all the team players out there for your support, and we'll catch you all down the road. It always feel like I need one more boy and one more line. Record the track just one more time. My family think I bumped my head. Lost my mind, insuring them, I'm just fine, I'm good enough, but I need one more boy, one more line, record the track just one more time, my family think I bumped my head, lost my mind, insuring them, I'm just fine, I'm good enough, but I need one more boy, one more line, record the track just one more time, my family think I bumped my head, lost my mind, insuring them, I'm just fine, I'm good enough, I'm just fine, I'm good enough. But you be told I need some therapy Initially ain't do it voluntarily But now I got a legacy 